following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. So in my life, this phrase, fix your eyes, it kind of has taken on a new meaning because I really need to get glasses. I mean, this is becoming extremely, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, when I went and did my driver's test, the lady, she passed me, but she was like, you got to get that fixed. You know, you got to go get some glasses. And I said, I'll get right on that. That was in June. And so I'm still putting that off, you know, because it's like, you know, I love my life without glasses, except to the part that, you know, it's like, well, I think that's Phil back there. I don't know. I can't see, right? And so you, you start to realize, you know, if you see me squinting, it's just because of that. And, and so this phrase, fix your eyes, can have lots of different meanings. It can t- take on different angles, and, and we can think of it differently. And I think, in seriousness, all of those angles apply here. Because one of the challenges that we have is how we see. Um, there was this great set of philosophers that said, it's not how you look, it's how you see. And you might be thinking, what was that, like Socrates, Aristotle, and audio adrenaline, right? It's not how you look, it's how you see. Something about three of you know who that is. But anyway, um, and I think they're all in my family, I don't know. But, but the thing is, is this, this idea of it's not how you look, it's how you see, is this very important thing. Because when we face reality, it doesn't look so good. And there's a variety of answers that people come up with when we look at reality, right? And that is, it kind of comes down to what happened on page three of the Bible, right? So if you're not familiar with what happened on page three of the Bible, there was this tree. Now the, the Bible, the, the language of the Bible uses the phrase, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that sounds interesting. It's thought-provoking. It's a phrase that you're like, what does that kind of mean? It kind of, ooh, that's deep. What is it? But a, simply, a simpler way that helps us all quickly understand what it means is it's the tree of I know everything, right? And we've said this before. We said this earlier in the year, but we're going to say it again because it very much applies today. Have you ever noticed how you're always right? I mean, have you ever noticed? Your opinion is the best one going. I mean, there's all kinds of opinions out there. I personally prefer mine. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks that way. I always think when I'm looking at the government or I'm looking at you know, how businesses run, or, you know, Aaron and I are always talking about one of our favorite companies where we study called Dice. And we're like, man, if we were running Dice, we would do this, you know, because they produce video games. That's, that's what we do on Friday nights. And so we're like, we would do this. We would produce this. We, our opinions are always right. We have no idea what's going on there, right? And so, and so you know, when you're talking about the world and your opinions get involved, the tree of I knew everything is full throttle, right? Because I do. I know everything. And I'm always right. Now, evidence to the contrary, we're not going to talk about, right? And I know I'm not alone in that. And this is part of what happens when we need to fix our eyes, right? Because we see the world through our perspective. And you're kind of like, well, like, isn't that obvious? I'm like, yeah, it is. But we need to stop and, and be reminded of that. We see the world through our perspective, which means, like we were talking about, why would they put the Veterans Day parade during worship? Like, why would they do that? Or like right after worship so that like half our people can't even come here because they're all getting ready for the parade. You know, we were frustrated about that, right? You know, why wouldn't they put it at noon or at one o'clock or on a different day? You know, it's like, you know, these are the kinds of things we, we think about. You can keep going in the list. Why would, they, why would they do this thing called taxes? Who invented taxes anyway, right? You can keep going, right? And think about how you, those concentric circles work their way in and now you're in your own home and you're talking to your spouse or your siblings do siblings, ever get, do siblings ever get mad at each other? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the tree of I know everything, right? It's we got to fix our eyes, right? And, and 
my perspective, right? That's how I see everything. The writer to the Hebrews, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is calling us, inviting us to change our perspective. In my case, I'm going to get glasses. What kind of lenses will I get, right? What will, what will they allow me to see that I'm not seeing now? The Scripture is literally inviting us to get glasses, if you'll allow that analogy, to get some lenses that allow us to see clearly something that maybe we don't see right now. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and we're going to look at the first half of the verse. We're going to put these up on the screen. We're going to zoom in on some words because I want to open them up and, and apply them here. But you see here it says the first word is therefore. You see, and I'm missing Midge because she, Midge is always like, whenever there's a therefore, you've got to say, well, what happened before that, right? Well, see, last week, we, therefore is talking about what happened last week here. And that is Hebrews chapter 11. The whole thing was by faith. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, David did this. By faith, Daniel did this. By faith, Samson. By faith, you know. And I mean, it just, he just gives this giant list of all the people that did by faith. And then he says, and you know what's interesting about that at the conclusion of the chapter? He says, None of them really got what they were looking for. They were looking for the promised land. I mean, literally, that's a phrase that has become our, like in our culture. The promised land means our goal, where we're going, the, the finish, the finish line, right? And none of them actually achieved that, he says. So he said they were having to deal with this, I mean, essentially, on God's terms. That's what faith is. It's God's terms. It's dealing with life on God's terms. I don't know if, I, I'm going to say it one more time. <laughs> Because we've got to hear it. Faith is dealing with life on God's terms. Because when I look out at the world and I see how I could fix everything before the 11 o'clock you know, morning news or whatever, I'm thinking the world should be on my terms. And fixing my eyes, part of that is being able to see on God's terms. Right? And one of those terms is what we've got to see right here. As all those people who have gone before us, who are now in the presence of Jesus, who are now with him, reigning with him. I'm thinking Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter... All of those, all those powerful passages in the Re- chapter 14. All those passages, they are reigning with Christ. They are with him as he is seated at the right hand. And they are a great cloud of witnesses. Now see, witness is a word that's kind of an interesting word. It's... it's it's a strange word because we can apply that in a lot of different ways. You can think of witnesses who are, you know, witnesses to a crime. That's a very common usage of the word. They were eyewitnesses. They saw this happen. They saw this happen. They saw this happen. This great cloud of witnesses have seen this happen. Take a look at the second half of that verse because he says, okay, because we are surrounded by those who have seen it happen and they told people who told people who told people who told people, who told people who at some point told you and told me, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So, so we talked about sin. Sin is this thing, it's the brokenness that pervades our, our universe. It makes the thistles grow. We, we understand that. It, it makes the mosquitoes bite. We understand that. And boy, do we really understand. It's kind of winter now, so we're kind of, that's the one good thing about winter. The mosquitoes are gone for a while. You know, where, whatever you want to find in, in all creation that is not right is what it is. But it's also something that causes us to be entangled. Do you ever get entangled in sin? It's not, you never intended it. It's like you're walking through some kind of a, you know, those bushes that are all you know, windy and viney and they, they get all wrapped around your legs and, and you, it's hard if you're going through the woods. People are like, I don't go in the woods, just get, find a new analogy, right? But whatever it is, 
and entangles. Maybe it's the extension cord, you know, the, behind the seat. I don't know what it is. It entangles. And the next thing you know, you can't do anything right because you're tangled up in it. The wrong thing to do is to say, I need to try harder. I need to get better. I need to do more. That's the wrong thing to do. That's the wrong thing to do. We need to fix our eyes. Because if we look down and we look at all of the things that entangle us, then we're going to miss out on everything that is there, which is to say, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, we all know what verse 2 is because we read it together. We fix our eyes on Jesus. But we got to talk about this because this idea of letting us run with perseverance. Because, guys, this past week I talked to several people. You know, just, just a week in the life of Mark the pastor, right? And I get to talk to lots of people about different topics, different situations, different circumstances. And there was this common thread through all of them is that all of them were dealing with issues that made them want to quit. They wanted to stop. Whatever that means in each of their cases, they wanted it to end because they were suffering, right? And you know what? We all know that. We all suffer too. And so depending on each of us, some of us are on the mountaintop right now, some of us are in the valley, some of us are somewhere in between, but we know what that means. And they just wanted to quit. It's too hard. It hurts too much. Stop. Right? And I get that. I'm with you there. But the idea is, is that this is what we're called to do. Just get out of that brush that's all around you that makes you think that, that deceives you into feeling that, that makes you think that the only conclusion that is the good one is to quit, whatever that may mean, right? You know, maybe it means to end the relationship. Maybe it means to end the job. Maybe it means to go to a new city and start over. Maybe it means, I mean, all these different things. These are all possibilities. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe that's God's plan. But first, do this. Get out of the brush pile, right? Get out of that thing, that cord that's tangling you up, and let us run the, with perseverance. Keep going. You know, another of my favorite musicians, Steve Winwood, holding on, right? Some of you guys in some 80s? No, 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 no takers. Anyway, so let's take a look. No takers. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Now, again, we're looking at the first half of this. Now, you've got to watch out. There it is, the red alert sign, MLV. That's Mark's literal version. And the reason here is because the language is so important. There's two Greek words that are operating here that in 1984, when the NIV was published, um, those words might have been the good choice. But in 2018, a lot has changed. A lot, of, we've, a lot has happened in our world. And I think the word discipline is one of those words that I think we only think of it as pejorative now. It's only negative, right? It's like, it's what you do when, I've I got to tell you the story. So Debbie and I were new, newly married, and we went to a restaurant. And at the restaurant, there was this little kid who was just having a meltdown. And the words came out of my mouth, when I have kids, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, how naive I was, right? But God being God and him wanting to always keep a good perspective upon us, fast forward a few years and we're at a restaurant and Aaron, uh, our son Aaron, who is playing the cajon quite wonderful today, he, he, was, he was teething that night, right? And we go into the restaurant and like one of the, this is what the teeth comes through the gums, you know, it's like majorly hurting, right? And he just starts screaming, right? And we're in this restaurant. Everybody looks at our table like, eh, if, I, if I, when I have kids, right? <laughs> See how this works. And so, and so, and so what's going on is, is that it, it, it was funny because the waiter came up and, and I, he said, what would you like to drink? And I said, I like a Coke. And he said, did you say Jack and Coke? And I thought that was interesting <laughs> that he thought that. Like, no, just Coke. But anyway, so, 
so you, you, this discipline only, but you just feel like you should whop the kids, right? You know, they're screaming at the restaurant, so just whop them, right? That's discipline. And it's certainly, the scriptures, Proverbs, talks about a proper pr- punishment for, you know, proper correction, admonition for our children, and, and that's a whole other topic. But that's not what this is about in the sense that about whopping people, right? This is not God whopping you on the rear. That's not what this is about. This is about instruction. This is about correction. I mean, if you're going the wrong direction, God's going to get involved with that. He's going to get involved. Because he, why, why does he get involved? Because look at this. Endure instruction. The Scripture commands you and I, invites us to do it. Endure instruction. Why? Because God offers himself. So the first word that's discipline is paideia. So it's paideia. It's this idea of instruction. It's this is teaching. It's like what you do to your kids. You're like, okay, this is how you brush your teeth. This is how you tie your shoes. This is how you do this. And you show them. You demonstrate it. You, di- you, you disciple them. That's, that's a good description. But then this other word, which is, which is prospero, this is this idea of it's not just that God treats you as sons or meets you as sons, but he offers you. In every, almost every other place in the entire Bible, it's translated as offers. Something someone offers. And, and, and I think it should be here too. It's his, God offers himself to you. I'm here as your dad. Now for some of us, we had not a great relationship with our dads, and so that may not sound great to you. But what if you had a great relationship with your dad? What if your dad was perfect? What if your dad was honorable? What if your dad loved you unconditionally and gave everything for you? That's the kind of offer that stands on the table for you and for me when we think about this passage. Endure God's correction. His course corrections are a good thing. And sometimes we struggle in the midst of them. You know, one of, one of the conversations I had this week, it was just clear. Both parties in the dispute were going away from God. Away. And they were suffering. And part of that suffering, I'm convinced, was this. Now, it's hard. Because it's suffering, right? I mean, that's why they gave it that word. Suffer is hard. But we need to endure that. We need to go through it and know that Jesus is with us. And see, this is something we've been learning in the book of Hebrews, is God never promises that there won't be hard times. They're nowhere in the Bible. A lot of people have that wrong idea. They're like, oh, if I just follow Jesus, and everything will be great. No, that's not in the Bible. The Bible says, actually, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be really hard. That's what the Scriptures teach. It's right there on the screen for you to see, right? Endure it, he says. Because this is part of the process of you and me sort of being pruned from the tree of I know everything. You, you tracking with me? That tree of I know everything, it's kind of got to go. It's kind of got to get out of here. Because we, put, we live on God's terms, not our own. We trust in him, and he treats us as sons. Now, he's, he asks the question, what father fails to instruct his son? We could can, we can produce examples. They're even in the Bible. There's some. There's, there's examples of fathers who fail. This one doesn't. This one didn't. This one won't. He will instruct you and me, but uh, you've got to know who you are. You are his sons. And yes, ladies, I know that sounds like misogynistic or whatever, but in their time and in their language and in their culture, that was a huge deal because it was saying you are on equal footing before God Almighty. You're on equal footing. Now, 
the scriptures call us to different roles. Each one of us, you know, the Bible doesn't make the mistake our current culture does. It says men and women are the same. Because anybody who spends like five minutes being male or female knows that's ridiculous. But at the same time, when we, when we encounter these challenges with gender, you know, the whole gender discussion and all that goes on with that, what that is, is that's the brokenness. And that's this thing where we're suffering and we're confused and people are, and then if you just come out and say, oh, you're a bunch of stupid people because you don't understand that. Nah, these are people people. They're his children. And so we come alongside them just like God comes alongside us when we are in our suffering. And he loves us and he cares for us. And he participates in the suffering with us. Take a look at Hebrews 12 too. Because it's time to fix our eyes. And we can see. Why does bad happen in this world? Why does terrible why do why does why do why does god allow bad things to happen if you've ever read the book of job it's an interesting study of that question but at the end of the day this is the answer because god walks up to job in as many words and says i'm about to answer your question job you want to know why bad things happen you want to know well stand there and take it like a man that's what he says brace yourself i'm about to answer that question and then god like a good preacher talks for like 30 minutes but you know what he says? You know what he says? You know, I could summarize all those 30 minutes, and everybody's like, I wish you would, right? Please do that. God's answer to Job is you don't know everything. You don't know everything. So what should we do since you and I don't know everything? We should do this. We should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember what faith is. Faith is seeing the world on God's terms trusting in him that whatever is happening is on his terms and not on mine. And guys, that's the hardest thing in this world to do, especially those of us who are a little older, right? And as the older I get, the more I understand that. And so here's what we do. We fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author of the faith. He's the author of your faith. He created your faith and he gave it to you. But he didn't just say, okay, here you go, believe and be good. It's like we were talking about before service. You know, some people make Christianity into this. Jesus loves you, so you better be good. That is not the message of the Bible, guys. That's false teaching. No, Jesus is the author of your faith and the perfecter of your faith. The Greek word there is, is from testelestai. It's this idea of the finisher. He's the finisher, the completer, the one who helps you achieve the goals when you're running the race, right? Which is what we're talking about. You're making it through life. What are the goals? He's going to help you with that because he's the author and the perfecter of your faith. And that's why when you and I feel like it's time to quit, feel like it's time to give up, feel like we can't do anymore, we fix our eyes. Because here's the deal, guys. Why do bad things happen? I'm not the guy to ask. Turns out you can ask God, but he already has the answer for us. You don't know everything. He's saying that we're hitting our heads on something there. There's things going on in this universe that you and I don't, can't see. So what can we see? Jesus. Because when we look at Jesus, take a look at the next half of that verse. Verse 2, the last half of verse 2. He says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What? This was like God's master plan to endure the cross, to scorn its shame, to like say, I don't even care about any of that. I'm going to do it. Why am I going to do it? Because of you. Because I love you. Because I want to be with you. Because I care about you. Because I'm the Father who cares about the Son. 
And then Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is the thing that you need to see this, is you need to see the world through Jesus on the cross. You and I need to see the world through Jesus on the cross. Because when we look and we say, where was God when that happened? Well, He was there, I assure you. But see, like, imagine yourself on Good Friday. We call it good now, but they didn't call it good that day. The only way we call it good is because of the Sunday that followed. Imagine yourself there on Good Friday as you see this guy who you thought, imagine the disciples, this was the one. This was the one. And now he's dying on an execution rack at the hands of Babylon, Rome itself, right? That's who they understood Rome to be, was Babylon in the flesh, right? The evil empire opposed to God's plans. And they were killing who we thought was the Messiah. What good can there be? See the world through that. We can't understand on Good Friday, we cannot understand why that would be good until we're at Easter Sunday. You see, you see the move that we're making there. See, it's for the joy set before Him that Jesus endured the cross. He didn't quit. Praise be to His name, because I do. And every time I do, I can look to Him who didn't. I can see the world through the cross. I can see the world, I can see myself because what we said earlier, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified. You have been crucified with Christ. This is what He promises to you and to me. And so, and so I can see the world to the cross. Why does that happen? I don't know, but I know that Jesus loves them. I know that He loves them because He gave everything for them. I know, those people, those one people that you don't like, whatever they are, whether they're the people down there or the people over there or the people at home or the, wherever the people are that you don't like, He loves them. See them through the cross. What about the people in your own house? See them through the cross. What about you? See yourself through the cross. And then see everything through the empty tomb. Then look at everything through the empty tomb. Death is not the end. Because, you know, there was somebody who was talking about, you know, do you guys, is your church one of those snake handling churches? No, but we do hang out with a guy that crushes them. And we're talking about page three of the Bible again. On page three of the Bible, God said to the snake, <laughs> The offspring of Eve, you're going to strike his heel. You will. That's what that cross was all about. But he's going to crush your head. Guys, that's what happened on Easter Sunday. It happened on Good Friday and it happened on Easter Sunday. It happened all of that throughout that event. It continues to happen because God Almighty sent Jesus to save you and me and he did not stay dead. He walked out of the tomb. And what we're going to talk about on Easter this year is he is running on empty. The empty tomb. See the world through the fact that Jesus reigns at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you ever think about that? Because you think, oh my goodness, this election went really good or went really bad depending on who you were voting for. Jesus is in power. Not, I mean, that, yeah, people will do their governing and we'll pray for them in a few minutes. We're called to do that. But the thing is, is God reigns through Jesus on high and invites you and I to participate with Him in that reigning. And you know what that looks like? You know what it looks like? To reign with Jesus? To surrender and submit? He submitted to the Father. We submit to Him. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. This is what we're called to do. To fix our eyes upon Jesus. And so when we look at things that we don't understand, look at the cross. And when we look at things and we don't see how we can go forward, look at the empty tomb. And when we look at things and we don't understand what God's trying to do, just remember that Jesus reigns at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Can we pray about that? Let's do that. Lord, we need you.
And we cry out to you, help us have fixed eyes. Fix our eyes so that we look upon you in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of all the things that happen in life. Let us look at you. Look at your Son, our Lord Jesus. Let us fix our eyes upon him. He is the one who gave us faith. He is the one who will preserve our faith and fulfill our faith and perfect our faith unto the logical conclusion that you have made, not that we have made. Help us grow in this. Help us go out today and see the world through Jesus. And I pray that we would see one another through Jesus. And the only way we can do any of that is if we first look at ourselves through Jesus. And we see what you see, which is his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection, blanketed upon us like robes that are as white as snow, dipped in the blood of the Lamb. And it's in the mighty name of that Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen.